Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, I would be willing to bet uh, that just about everybody in this room has at one time or another in your life asked the question, why don't I have more? I mean, how come is it that everybody else around me seems to be so much better off? Why is it I can't seem to be able to afford or to buy the things that my neighbor has? Why is it that I don't have more? I read recently in a recent poll that 89% of those who were surveyed all agreed, 89% agreed, Americans are too materialistic. And almost the exact same number of people surveyed said they wanted more for their own lives. <laughs> Recent Newsweek cover, November 10th, cover story. It's all about something, they, a, a term that has been coined now. It's called affluence deprivation. It's a brand new term. It's not actual poverty. It's more a state of mind. It's a feeling of being poor. And, and it's a very, very interesting thing because what they said what has happened in the United States is that luxuries have become necessities, like cell phones. I have to have a cell phone. Or like two TVs. I need two TVs. And, and when we're not able to purchase the luxuries that we consider to be necessities, we suffer from this disease that is called affluence deprivation. We just feel poor because we don't have what the people next door to us have. And so we feel deprived. For the last couple of weeks through this whole series, we've been asking a number of questions. Week one, we started this series asking the question, where does it all go? We come to the end of the year, we do our taxes, and we see how much we grossed, and we go, where did it all go? We come to the end of the month, and, and we, you know, we pay our bills, and somehow we don't have enough money left for the number of days left in the month, and we ask ourselves, where did it all go? And the reason we ask that question is because we're not tracking it. We don't know the answer to that question because we don't pay attention to it. And so we talked about the importance. Jesus talked about the importance of knowing what you're doing with your finances. Second week, week two, we talked about the question, why is it that more is never enough? And we talked about the idea that, that we have this income lifestyle gap. And when our lifestyle exceeds our income, we're dissatisfied. And so the answer to that is to to adjust it in a way that, that our lifestyle is lower than our income. Because this whole idea of more and needing more is really an artificial need. And it's all about our lifestyle. And Jesus talks about changing our lifestyle. And then last week we asked the question, how is it that God views money? The answer to that is that God sees our money as a temporary trust. That it's a tool that, he's been put, that has been put into our hands by him. And so this morning we're going to end this whole series with one more question. <clears throat> and it relates to the question I talked about earlier. Why is it that I don't have more? Only I, this morning, I would like to turn it around. And I would like us to ask the question, why is it that I have so much? Why do I have more than I need? I bet nobody in this room has ever asked that question. <laughs> And this morning we're going to do that because I really believe that. I really believe if we could get the answer to that question, 
it would fundamentally change the way we look at money. It would fundamentally change the way that we look at our own personal finances. And the thing is, Jesus answered that question. Luke chapter 12, page 1031, if you want to use one of the Bibles sitting next to you in the, on the, uh, one of the chairs next to you. Luke chapter 12. It's the last one we're going to look at because we've been looking at what did Jesus have to say about money. And so this morning, this last question is, why has God given me so much? And it starts Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. And it actually starts, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. Everybody's all gathered around. And someone in the crowd asked, said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who, made, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, that's all of them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them this parable, this story. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get all that you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. This morning, we're going to ask the question, why is it that I have so much? Because whether you feel like it or not, whether you suffer from this affluence deprivation <laughs> or not, the truth is we live in probably one of the wealthiest parts of, one of the wealthiest country in the world. And I think it would be fair to say just about every one of us in this room, with maybe a few exceptions, really have more than we need. And so I want us to look at this question as we wrap up this whole series. Why is it that God has given me so much? And to answer that question, we first have to take a look at some of the faulty assumptions that come from this story. Because these faulty assumptions, they are still true today, 2,000 years later. They're the assumptions that most of us operate on when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our money, when it comes to our stuff. And the first faulty assumption is this one. I am the owner of all I possess. That is a faulty assumption. I am the owner of all I possess. Jesus begins this story. Before he even tells the story, he starts with a warning. And the warning is this. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, that's pretty severe language. Why is he so intense? You know, why does he start the whole thing with that? I think it's because greed is one of those sins that is hard to see in ourselves. It's, it's, one of, it's really, really subtle because none of us in this room really thinks we're greedy. I mean, if we got a problem with lust, we know that's a problem. You know, if we got a problem with anger or hatred, we know those sins. We can recognize those sins. But very few of us, if any of us, recognize greed in our own lives. We can see it in other people, but we cannot see it in ourselves. <laughs> it's kind of like this. Let me ask you. When you're in a room of people and everybody's singing, who was the last one to know they are singing off-key? 
If you're at a party, if you're at a party, who was the last person to know they've had too much to drink? <laughs> you know the answer to that question. It's the person who's had too much. It's the person who's singing off key. And that's kind of the way it is with greed. We're the last person to realize that we are the ones who are greedy. And the reason Jesus tells this story is in response to the warning that he has given. He says, watch out, be on your guard, because it's hard to see it in yourself. He's telling the story because he wants us to help us recognize this problem of greed. And the first indicator of it, the first indicator of it is all the pronouns. Listen to what this guy says to himself. He tells the story, and this is what happens. He has had an abundant crop. And you really got to feel for this guy, you know, because he's got a problem now. Because okay? he's got more grain than he can possibly store in his barns. And listen to the pronouns that are used. He thought to himself... What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I, my, me, mine. The whole story. First person singular. That's all he thinks about. Now, if you sit here and you say to yourself, yeah, but that's not my problem. Let me ask you this question. When you get that Sunday paper and you look at through all the ads, as you're looking through those ads, or, or maybe you get, you know, it's the holiday season because you're going to be inundated with catalogs, okay? And as you thumb through those catalogs, or, or you go shopping at the mall, or maybe you take a trip to Best Buy, okay? When you do that, <laughs> when you do that, and you're looking at all those things in the catalogs, or you're walking through the mall, or you're walking through Best Buy, who is it that you are thinking about? When you look through all the stuff, are you thinking for the first, first thing that comes to your mind, I know somebody who would love one of those. I ought to buy this for so-and-so. Boy, I think this is such a great thing. I ought to buy it for my friend. Yeah, me. That's the real answer. You see, because we all suffer from this problem called greed. I, me, mine, for me. When we go shopping, unless it's a birthday or Christmas, we shop for ourselves. We think about ourselves. And it's a faulty assumption to think that I am the owner of all I possess. Second faulty assumption, same thing. Problem, problem, another problem this guy had, and it's the same thing that we have today. And the second faulty assumption is this. I am the source of my own success. I made it. I earned it. I deserve it. I worked hard. You read this story, and this guy, he is, he is a success. He has, he's somebody to be admired. This is quite an accomplishment to have that incredible of a harvest. I mean, he ought to be on the cover of Forbes magazine. He ought to, or at least Farmer's Monthly, something. Because this guy has made it. He worked hard. He cleared the land. He, he, he plowed and toiled over the soil. He picked the best seeds. He watered it. He watched it. He took great care of it. And now he has a bumper crop. He has done everything right. He is living the American dream before there is an American dream. 
He has more than he wants. But Jesus describes his success in a very, very different way with two words. The ground. The ground of a certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. The ground yield the harvest. Oh, he worked hard at it. But who made the ground? Who made the seed? Who brought the rain and the sun? Who provided the seasons? Who kept the locust away? See, the truth is, though he has worked hard, he is not the source of his success because he has no control over the weather. And he has no control over the insects. And he really has no control over the germination of a seed that comes to harvest. And God warned his people thousands of years earlier, back in the book of Deuteronomy. He said, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. See, the faulty thinking is, I have done this. I have made it. I have earned this. I have produced this. And that is just plain faulty thinking. But it's the thing that every one of us thinks all the time. I think I'm the owner of all that I possess. I think that I am the source of my success, which always leads to the third faulty assumption, which is this that I can control now the span of my existence. I can control my length of years. I'm in control of my life. See, his success gave him the illusion of control. He's, he's thinking, what am I going to do? I've got more than I can possibly even store up. What am I going to do? I've got I to build bigger barns. Even though the ones I have are perfectly good, I've got to tear them down because I, I need more space. I need to go down to 5A rent-a-space. <laughs> I need more room to hold more stuff. And then after he does all that, then he says, then I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. You've made it. You can retire. You've achieved it all. Take life easy now. Sit back and relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. The problem wasn't that he was planning for the future. The problem was he didn't plan far enough into the future. It wasn't a problem for him to be saving up for retirement it's not bad to try and set yourself up so you can retire and be set for life. The problem was he didn't realize how short that life was going to be. And that was the problem. God said this very night. John Ortberg writes about it. He says, imagine the funeral. Because of his prominence, the whole community turns out. People filled past his casket and made the same foolish comment people always make at funerals. He looks so peaceful. <laughs> Rigor mortis will do that. <laughs> Death is nature's way of telling you to slow down. 
And they ask the same foolish question people ask when anyone rich dies. I wonder how much he left. He left it all. <laughs> Everybody always leaves it all. People got up to eulogize him. Mostly they talked about his accomplishments because while everybody knew about him, nobody really knew him. He was one of the leading entrepreneurs of his day, said one. He was an innovator of technology and delivery systems, said another. He was a man of principles, someone else says. He would never cheat on taxes, his expense account, or his wife. All, another admirer noted his civic achievements. He was a pillar in the community. He knew everybody. The man was a networker. They all commissioned a large marble column for him. And they wrote these inspiring words on it. Visionary, innovator, leader, entrepreneur. And at the top, they wrote the word, the man, his man's favorite word, the word he had given up his soul for, success. They put up the man's memorial stone, buried his body, and went home. And then, when it was dark, and no one was present to note what was taking place, the angel of God went to the cemetery, unseen, unheard. The angel made his way past all the other tombstones until he came to this man's wonderful memorial stone. And there the angel traced with a finger a single word that God had chosen to summarize this wealthy, busy, respectable, successful man's life. Fool. God said, you fool. This very night, will be your soul will be required of you. And the things that you have stored up, whose will they be? See, Jesus is giving us in this story a definition of greed because he wants us to understand this one thing. And this is true whether you are a believer or not. If you are here this morning and you are a seeker and you're just here trying to find out more about God and you're not so sure about this God thing, you're not so sure about this sin thing, and you're not really so sure about greed being a sin and all that kind of stuff, at least you've got to realize this. It's just plain stupid. It's foolish. He is giving us this definition of greed so that we would understand how stupid it is, how stupid it is to think that it's all for myself, how stupid it is to think that I made it and I earned it and I deserve it, how stupid it is to think that because I did all of that, now I am secure. And our stock market reminds us every single day how insecure it really is. Nothing is secure, and it is stupid to think that somehow I can secure my life and my future by amassing stuff. The problem wasn't that he was rich. The problem was he never asked the question, why? Why do I have so much? And because he never asked that question, he lived his whole life thinking it all belonged to him. And that's stupid. And Jesus tells us the story to help us recognize greed so we would understand how truly stupid it is. It's just plain dumb. Not to mention, it's a sin. <laughs> and it's all because of this faulty thinking that all of us have. And that's why it's so important to ask the question we're asking this morning. Why is it that I have so much? Because we all do. 
Why has God given me so much? And I think there's a couple of really simple answers to it. The first one is, so that I would learn gratitude. Jesus said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, we need to define that word abundance. Because, again, another Gallup poll. 21, uh, uh, those who were surveyed kind of figured out, okay, in America, about 21% of the U.S. population, by polling, 21% of the U.S. population would be considered rich. 0.5% of those surveyed thought they were rich. (laughs) So we need to define what is abundance. The word simply means what is extra, what is left over. If you have in your refrigerator right now leftovers, that's abundance. In Jesus' day, it was anything, anything, and it is still today, Anything that is beyond my basic human needs. Anything that is extra. Anything more than daily bread is abundance. Anything extra. And if we have that, then we have abundance. And if we've got abundance, then we need to be grateful. Now, in our country, we have set aside one day a year to give thanks and I would just, you know, you watch on TV and, you know, interview people. What is Thanksgiving about? And I, just this week I heard someone say, well, it's a day to sit down and give thanks to your family. Huh? <laughs> I mean, I'm grateful for my family and I thank my family, but I don't think that's the reason. My grandmother, she came from the old country with nothing. And she started out as a, as a nanny um, for some fairly wealthy people. She had nothing most of her life. Um, got married. My grandfather built up a business with my dad. Um, became pretty successful in their business. And every day, almost every time I would hear my grandma, no matter what it was, she always said, I am so thankful to the Lord. <laughs> she said it much better than I could. But <laughs> With this Danish accent, she goes, I am so thankful to the Lord. She was grateful for everything. Because see, gratitude is not because God needs it. Gratitude helps us live and enjoy our lives so much more. Because we live with a greater sense of contentment and, and satisfaction. And if we are not grateful, without gratitude, our lives become lives of complaint and of want, and of misery, and envy, and worry. And gratitude is simply God's gift to help us realize how much we have so we can live our lives better and enjoy it more. Writer of the Ecclesiastes, Solomon, wrote these words, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toils. This is the gift of God. James put it this way. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. It's all from God. It's all a gift from God. So be grateful. Be thankful. Not just one day a year. 
But every day, be thankful. I think God gives to us just so that we would realize how good a God He is. And if we are never grateful, we will never remember how good He truly is, how truly generous He is, how well He has provided, how faithful He has been. And gratitude helps us with that. But I don't think that's the other reason, the only reason. There's another one. And I think the second reason is so that I would learn then to give with generosity. I believe God gives to us so that we can give and care for those who don't have, for those who are in need. It's a really, really interesting question. I don't know if you caught this. God said to him, you fool, this very night will be demanded from you. And then he asked him the question, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And that's not just a rhetorical question. That's a question that calls for an answer. Who will get all that you prepared for yourself? Anybody know what the answer to that one is? Somebody else. Somebody else. The truth is, all the stuff that you have, one day is going to become somebody else's. It will. Everything you have, everything that you have worked so hard for, everything that you have saved up, someday will become somebody else's. Not because you were particularly generous with it, just simply because you died. (laughs) It's going to be somebody else's. So you have the chance in this life to make a choice about that. Best way I ever heard this illustrated by a guy who's a lot smarter and a lot more creative than I, but he's just, you will never look at your finances again. Just, it's incredible. And I got to start with a question. How many here like, like chocolate chip cookies? You like chocolate chip cookies? Chocolate chip cookies? Okay. Come on up. Can you help me up for a minute? Come on. No, yeah. Please. Give me a hand, please. Tell everyone your name. Kamuela. Kamuela? All right. Willa. Kamuela. Kamuela. I would pick somebody with a hard name for me to pronounce. (laughs) Now, I've got two chocolate chip cookies. You like chocolate chip cookies, right? You really like chocolate chip cookies? Okay. So I got two of them with me this morning, and and these two are mine. Okay? (laughs) I baked them myself. You can still smell them. They smell good. I'm pretty good at this, aren't I? Now, I like chocolate chip cookies, too. And and you like chocolate chip cookies, right? Okay, so. Now, I got two chocolate chip cookies, and he's got none. And that's just kind of sad, isn't it? I like chocolate chip cookies. Now, 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 when you were a kid, okay, when you were a kid, and you had two of something, and, um, and your parents saw that you had something, and you had a friend over, or maybe a little brother, a little sister, and you had two, and they didn't have any, what did your parents always tell you? Share. To share. Absolutely. So, I'm standing here with two cookies. Oh, excuse me. 
And, um, and he's got none. And so really, everything within you is just kind of crying out. Share. Yeah, give him a cookie. Absolutely. Now, okay. I really shouldn't eat both of these cookies now. But this afternoon, I might need one. So, really what I ought to do is maybe set that one aside and save it because I might want it later. <laughs> but, but I really do feel bad for him, okay? I mean, I really do because I got two and, and he's got none. So I think this morning we ought to just pray for him, all right? <laughs> Let, let's pray together. Lord, I am so grateful because you've been so generous to me, and, and I got two cookies, but my brother here, he doesn't have any, and, and I feel real bad about that, and, and so I just pray that you would send someone along that would give him a cookie, all right? And, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, all right? So, you know, be warm and well-fed, and, and don't give up, because God sees your need, and, uh, and he will take care of you. So, you're hang in there, because in his timing... You're going to send someone along. Okay, now. Do you think... Do you think... Our Heavenly Father looks down on this world and He sees all the people with two cookies and all the people with none. What do you think He says? Why do you think you've been given two cookies? Why do you think you have so much to share? And so I'm going to be a real good Christian. <laughs> and I'm going to share a cookie. Thanks for helping out. You will never look at this story again <laughs> in the way that you ever have before because that's the point. God gives to us so that we could give to others because everything you have will go to somebody else someday. But in this life, you have a choice. You have a choice to pass it on now, God gives to us so that we can give to others. And if you don't believe that, look at a little bit further on in the story. After Jesus tells the story, Luke 12, 33. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Give until it affects your lifestyle, is what he is saying. This is a really, really important question that we got to ask ourselves, not just for a day, not just for a week, but for the rest of our lives. I'll be honest. 
is challenging to me. Because I thought I was doing pretty good on the giving thing. Because I do my 10%, and then even beyond that, a little bit. God has given so that I would learn gratitude, so that I would give with generosity, and lastly, so that I would live in grace. Jesus said, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. See, the thing is, this man experienced a total loss. He lost everything in this world that he had saved up, and he went into the next with nothing to show for it. He lost everything from this life and had prepared nothing for the next. And so what he suffered was a total loss. He was rich, but he was not rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? It means to give priority and value to the things that God gives priority and value. And if you read the life of Jesus, there were two things that he constantly talked about over and over and over again. The kingdom of God and the needs of people. He healed, he fed, he cared for, he touched lives in this world so that they could become part of the kingdom of God for eternity. And to be rich towards God is to give priority to the things that God values. And what God values is his kingdom's expansion and the needs of people. That is Jesus' model. That's what the life of grace is all about. Because we are all, all in desperate need at the deepest level. And Christ came and gave his life, not because we bought our way into the kingdom, not because we could earn our way in, but because we needed to be in. And so he paid that price. And that's why he says, seek his kingdom. And these things will be given you as well. For your heavenly father is pleased to give you the kingdom. You don't give to buy your way in. You give because you're already in freely by his grace. And because he has been so generous with me... I need to be generous with others because he has been so freely in his giving to me. I must freely give to others. And that's why for this whole series, we've been talking about changing your lifestyle in a way that you can better give. And we just talked about this idea of give 10%, save 10%, and live on the rest. Give 10%, save 10%, live on the rest. Give a percentage, save a percentage, live on the rest because that's God's plan. It's all through Scripture. That is His plan. You give it priority. The very first and foremost thing is you give. You give to the needs of others and to the kingdom of God. That's His plan. You give. It is percentage, priority, planning. And it will not happen unless you have the plan because this is a lifestyle. 
This is not every once in a while when a big disaster hits and I feel guilty, I write out a check for $500 and think I am a generous person because I'm not. I'm greedy. And so are you. And unless we plan and prioritize giving to God and others, saving for my own future, and then learning to live on the rest... Unless we put that plan into place, we will live with guilt. We will live with discontentment. We will live with worry. We will live with complaint. But if we put the plan into place, this isn't about being guilty because I'm already doing it. And if I am saving that part, then when a real disaster does happen and extra is needed, it's there. I can do it. See, that's the whole idea behind all of this. When you have the plan and when you live by the plan, it will force you to be deliberate. It will force you to be careful about what you spend. It will force you to be prepared when those needs do come up. It is God's plan. That's why Jesus spoke so much about it, because he wants us to get our hearts in the right place. And the only way we get our hearts in the right place is if we start to give first, save second, live on the rest. The only way I know, the only way I know to break the grip of greed in my life is to give. There's no other way. And that's why that is God's plan. And Jesus put it simply in one Sentence, freely you have received, freely give. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 